Well, thank you, Kayleen, and welcome to our live stream. Uh, we're just having a little fun here since we're having some internet problems, so thank you for bearing with us, and it seems to be working now. I want to start our teaching time with a reading from Psalm 4610. Psalm 4610 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know that I. Be still and know that. Be still and know. Be still and be still. Be. I use that prayer to bring myself into a place of calm, into a place of quiet, into a place where I can try to hear from God. On March 19th, eight days before Minnesota's stay-at-home order went into effect, I shared a poem titled Pandemic by Lynn Unger. I want to read just a part of that for you today. What if you thought of it as the Jews consider the Sabbath, the most sacred of times? Cease from travel, cease from walking or working for buying and selling, give up just for now on trying to make the world different than it is. Sing, pray, touch only those to whom you commit your life. Center down. And when your body has become still, and that's all the farther I can get because I just want to be done being still. And I hear many of you saying that too. Like, I'm done with stay at home. I'm done with stay safe. I just want church to get back to physical gatherings. I want to go into restaurants. I want youth sports to start. I want to travel. I want things to go back to normal. But what is normal? Is normal being so busy that you don't know how to stop? That you don't know how to see your friends? That, that you don't know how to see people that are different than you? That you don't stop to ponder the systems in our world and in our country that might be biased or inequitable or broken? See, for most people, normal is going and going day after day, scrolling through all their social media, be it Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or TikTok or Twitter or Pinterest or whatever. It's responding day and night, day and night to email and text all the time, always working, always driving, always shopping, always cleaning, always eating, always studying, always mowing the lawn or raking the leaves or shoveling the driveway or paying the bills or wishing you could spend more time with your friends or with God or pursuing priorities that God cares deeply about. See, some of us, the only time we stop is when we fall into bed exhausted or when we get sick. I think this pandemic has exposed how busy and burdened and broken we really are. And the devices that have been lifelines to connect us have also been our means of escape. 
our distraction from the waiting or the listening or the seeing one another. And so today, we consider the regular rhythms that help us to rest and stop and delight in who and whose we are. This is day seven of the first new beginning. To review what we've talked about for the last two months on day one, God calls the light out of the darkness and God calls the light out of our darkness. On two, on day two, we're expanded to house future life. On day three, seeds of life are put in us, unique gifts that God wants us to bring forth into the world. On day four, we embrace the spiritual seasons of waiting and hoping and abundance and loss. On day five, we face our monsters. On day six, we find out who we are and where we came from. But on day seven, we discover what we need most. So maybe you've heard this question before, maybe you haven't, but I'll say it anyway, and you can sure write in the comments, what is created on day seven? Do any of you know? It's a little bit of a trick question because nothing was created on day seven. Day seven is when we stop creating, stop producing, stop managing, stop controlling, and we stop striving. In Genesis 2, verses 1 and 2, Kayleen read, but I'll read it again. Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished his work that he had been doing, and so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. God didn't rest because he was exhausted, but because he finished the work. That could mean completed, but it would, could also mean rest in the sense of everything is as it should be. And then Genesis 2-3, it says that then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So God rested and made the seventh day holy. Any idea what had been made holy so far? Also the same thing that's been created. Nothing. God has not called himself holy. He's not called humans holy. He's not called creation holy. In fact, the first thing that God calls holy is stopping. God demonstrates his creativity in days one through six when he makes the heavens and the earth, but he demonstrates his holiness on day seven when he stops and rests. So just think for a minute about how often you stop or how hard is it for you to stop? Or what does it feel like when you stop? Or when was the last time you waited in line without looking at your phone? Or for that matter, when was the last time you turned your phone off for an hour or an afternoon or a whole day? See, I think most of us are terrified to stop, and many of you and many of us have been running so hard for so long that we don't know what to do. And some of us even felt the anxiety rising as I asked those questions. But see, after God gives this first day seven, 
the next time a day of rest appears in the story is after God leads his people out of Egypt where they've been enslaved for 400 years. They've worked every day. They never get to stop. And God leads them out of that place. They travel through a desert. They run out of food. And so God gives them this unique food called, what is it? And what is it could be baked or broiled. It could be made into many different kinds of things. And every morning, they were to go out and gather this food, enough for their family, but they couldn't save any of it, except on the day before stopping. It says in Exodus, starting in verse 23, that he said to them, he being the Moses, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow will be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning, as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, said Moses, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to go and gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. Then the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Say to every, everyone is to stay where they are on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now, I've sort of wondered about this. Did, did they go and gather on that day of rest because they didn't think that th what they gathered the day before would be enough? Or did they go out and gather because they didn't trust God? Or did they go out and gather because they'd already worked on doing that six days in a row, and so they just figured this day was like any other day, so why not go and gather it? But rather than seeing this as God getting mad or God being controlling, I actually now see it as God offering the Sabbath as a gift to receive and a freedom to practice. Now, Sabbath is a gift that we can receive, but if you Google Christian Sabbath, one of the first results you'll see is, should Christians keep Sabbath? Or something like, is the Sabbath still required for Christians? Kind of an interesting thought. Like, how did something that God intended as a gift designed for human flourishing become this harsh requirement of religion? Maybe you see Sabbath as this harsh requirement because it seems like religion and religious leaders think requirements are like the best strategies. Well, we're not sure if people will do this, so let's require it. Or we don't want to give people too much leeway because, you know, what if they don't listen to the Holy Spirit to discern what is good and life-giving on the Sabbath and what's soul-draining? So let's require it. Which actually brings us to the second reading Caitlin did. In Mark 2, it says that Jesus was walking with his disciples. Now, I, I know we didn't have cars at the time, but I just like to notice he wasn't jogging, he wasn't driving, he wasn't sitting on a bus or a plane, he wasn't playing a game on his phone, he didn't have headphones on, he was just walking with his students on a Sabbath day. And his disciples 
were walking and they were hungry, so they began to pick grains off, or the heads of grain, heads off grain. And it was the Sabbath, so some religious leaders saw them and they said, why, why, are, your fair, why are your students breaking the law on the Sabbath? Now, I think the Pharisees really did love God. I think they just loved God's law more than God's people. They were constantly clarifying and communicating their interpretation of the religious rules so that everyone could know what was required. And since keeping the Sabbath holy is one of the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, they actually created 39 categories of what you could or couldn't do on the Sabbath. For example, you know, no plowing, planting, reaping, gathering, no threshing, no grinding, no picking heads off grain, no kneading, no cooking, no shearing, no washing, no beating or dyeing of wool, no making two loops, I guess one's okay, no tying, no trapping, no slaughtering, no tanning, no scraping or marking hides if anyone does that anymore, no cutting hides, no writing two or more letters, no erasing two or more letters, maybe one is okay, no building, no demolishing, no putting out fires or building fires, no putting finishing touches on anything. This is what they were talking about. No work. And now I don't know if you grew up in a home like this or even a church like this, but when there's that many requirements, it can be really hard to find Jesus and find life in those places. So the Pharisees, they're trying to push their requirement strategy on Jesus, their should list, if you will. But Jesus gives this brilliant response. First, he compares himself to King David, Israel's greatest and most good king. He's the king that all other kings in God's story are compared to and the one from whom the Savior would come. Second, he mentions in his response a story where a religious leader took something that was holy and set apart for the religious leaders and gave it to hungry people in need. Like, maybe the religious requirement wasn't the most important thing in that moment. And then finally, Jesus demonstrates God's purposes for the Sabbath and his authority over it when he says the Sabbath was made to serve us. We weren't made to serve the Sabbath. The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. See, Jesus is the one who determines what is lawful and unlawful, permissible and impermissible, what leads to life and what leads to death. See, I think the faster we go and the harder and longer we work and the more we ignore our human limits, the less we can determine what leads to life and what leads to death. And soon we find ourselves fighting over religious requirements or who or what is worthy of saving instead of what God meant for life. Maybe the Sabbath can actually guide our racial reconciliation and righteousness conversations. That we could give and receive and share peace with one another that we could see each other in moments of Sabbath as fellow image bearers of God. See, Jesus does do what leads to life on the Sabbath and doesn't do what doesn't lead to life on the Sabbath. On the Sabbath, in the Gospels, Jesus casts out demons, 
He heals scoliosis. He cures blindness. He shrinks swelling. He feeds the hungry. He unlocks the paralysis of a hand, and he feeds or lowers a fever. All those things he does on the Sabbath. Now, Dr. Matthew Sleeth, a former emergency room doctor on the East Coast, who found the Sabbath before he found Jesus, he wrote in his book called 24-6, the intent of the commandment rest is what's important. Sabbath is meant to be a refuge, not a prison. It protects the needy and the displaced and the powerless. People don't save the Sabbath, it saves us. The meaning of rest to a person who cannot walk is to get up and go. The meaning of rest to Peter's mother-in-law, who, who was healed of her fever, was to offer hospitality and participate in this conversation with her son-in-law's famous employer. To rest for Barb, who is retired and done traveling, is to make over a thousand masks. Like Pete said earlier, day seven is the first full day that humans experienced with God if they were created at the end of day six. So to be human and to be aligned with Jesus is to start with stopping. Not only is the Sabbath a gift, it's the thing we do first. In fact, the Sabbath is not some trendy self-help program. It's part of heaven and the most, and, and the, gives us a glimpse of God. It's not just a one-day vacation in the week. It's the most solid and tangible time of the week. And when we can start with stopping, we can enter a new beginning. See, Sabbath isn't a strict rule to follow, but an expansive gift to receive. It's about creating space so we can stop and see and delight in God and his gifts. And it's not just about stopping and receiving his gifts. It's about joining in his goodness. Lastly, keeping the Sabbath is like the longest commandment in the Ten Commandments, but the majority of it is actually about giving Sabbath to others. And when we grant others rest, we're not only being obedient, we're being like God. This practice, which God knows, and so does my family, that I am not perfect at, has been incredibly life-giving to me. See, this could be your new beginning today. As we conclude this series, I just want to give you three questions to get you started in Sabbath. So first, when? When are you going to practice Sabbath? Is it, is it a day? Is it an afternoon? Is it a night? It's okay to start with Sabbath moment, Sabbath moments. Even better if you can start a whole day. It's easier for me to do like an evening to an evening. And if you're a single parent, God bless you. Sabbath moments. If you're a parent of young children, Sabbath moments. Sabbath minutes. But maybe every other week someone gets to sleep in. Or maybe you can swap childcare with, you know, another single parent. But whatever it is, choose when. And then Second, what? What will you stop? What are you going to intentionally not do on the Sabbath? Like, maybe we need to stop pretending that the world needs us to run. Maybe we need to stop pretending that we're infinite or limitless and honor our body's need to rest 
and our spirits need to replenish and our souls need to delight in God. Let us stop worrying or striving, even if it's only for a day, because a day could lead to a way. So for me, I have to stop creating and planning and working on church stuff. I usually have to limit my social media as well and stay off email because those are so easy for me to slide into work mode. Sometimes I do need to turn off my phone. What is it for you? Is it making sure you get the chores done around the house the day before so you can actually relax? Get your work done so that you don't have to save any for the weekend? Or maybe it's not cooking any meals or even taking a break from parenting children. They'll be okay. They should be okay. Maybe you need to stop making lists or stop shopping. But once you identify what you're going to stop when you practice Sabbath, the last thing is, what are you going to do now that you can practice, now that you have stopped? Well, Ruth Haley Barton is an author, a spiritual director, and a teacher, and the founder of the Transforming Center. And when she's asked this question, what is to replace all that we've excluded from our Sabbath time? She said the simple answer is, whatever delights and replenishes you. So what delights and renews you? Is it dinner with friends and a day of no obligations? Is it reading a book or going to a movie? Is it taking a walk along the lake? Is it diving headfirst into a hobby? Is it playing with your kids or spending time outside? Is it working out or even taking a nap? Naps are an incredibly great thing to do in Sabbath. Is it making time for quiet? Is it just spending time with people you love? And what do you do to connect with God in Sabbath, to be renewed spiritually? Is it reading a book or spending time praying or, or meeting with a godly friend? I find it incredibly helpful and focused for my prayer life to jump on my motorcycle and to take a little country road, not have the, the noise of the radio or even the sound of my phone and just have the wind in my helmet and my thoughts and prayers with God. Ruth Barton writes again, don't make practicing the Sabbath a really weighty or heavy exercise. Instead, explore it with delight, as though you and God are learning together how to make the day special for you. And then once you figure it out, be intentional about protecting it. Don't be rigid or legalistic. That'll ruin it, but just be intentional and protective. I think those are good words today as we wrap up. So, when will you practice this? What will you stop? And then three, what will you delight in? Because Jesus said the Sabbath is created for you and me and us so that we can stop and rest, so that we can see God and see his gifts and join in his goodness the Sabbath is not a solo activity. The Sabbath is also communal. And as I mentioned in my video on Friday, I don't just want to go through this pandemic. I want to grow through this pandemic. I don't just want us to return to church. I want us to return to gather renewed and refreshed and re-energized 
to declare and demonstrate with words of truth and acts of love who Jesus is and what his kingdom is like. I want to return safely because we need each other. But I do want to return because we need the hope and healing of the Holy Spirit. As a church, we want to relaunch and regather because there is restoring work to be done in our cities now. And I still believe that is Jesus' call to Restoration Covenant Church. See, even before COVID-19 hit and our stay-at-home order started, we'd been feeling the squeeze at Hayes Senior Center and our Granada Shopping Center where our office is. And we're really limited on what we can do at our ministry center and how many people we can have because of space and because of parking. And at our Sunday space, we've even seen families of four, five, or six people struggle to find a place to sit as our service begins. And even as of yesterday afternoon, we're still waiting to hear from the city on when Hayes will reopen and it when will it will reopen to rental groups like ours. So for many months, we've been looking and praying about options of other places to go. We've been meeting with our commercial real estate agent, and we've usually come up short, at least until early May. About a month ago, our agent told us that Mount Olivet Assemblies of God Church was looking in, in Apple Valley was looking for an organization to lease some of their space. Now, if you remember a few years ago in early 2018, we'd briefly looked at that space before, but for various reasons, uh, it wouldn't have been a good move for us at the time. You can read more about that on our website. If, you're, um, if you regularly get the news and notes, this will also be coming out probably right about now. Um, but those obstacles have been removed. And now they're able to offer us both weekday ministry space, 24-7 office space, and Sunday morning gathering space. And we believe this is a small, smart, spirit-led decision that will benefit not only us, but also the Mount. And so we're actively pursuing this lease with the Mount that would start in July after we've finished out our Granada lease in June. We've got a letter and a video that will be emailed to members and attenders, like I just mentioned. It'll also be posted on our website that says a little more background for this decision, that has some frequently asked questions with pictures and actually has a video tour of how the staff sees the space. And we know that this is a change. But in our world, everything is changing. And as believers in Jesus, we don't need to fear change. And we do want your input on this. We really do. So we're going to be hosting some listening groups over the next two weeks, and we invite your feedback. Please read the letter, watch the video, and sign up for one of those listening groups. With that, will you pray with me? Father, I ask that uh, we can gather again physically as a church. I thank you for technology. I pray that we will continue to meet in this digital way, in this virtual way, that we can see each other and communicate your truth, to praise your name, God, to be renewed and refreshed, to have Sabbath moments together. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would work in each person's life that's listening right now, that they could find a time to practice Sabbath, to stop and be with you. God, to stop all the work and all the worry and instead 
rest and worship you for who you are, to, to renew and be refreshed. God, to delight and to worship. God, I pray and thank you that because of Jesus, you've made this way. I thank you that Jesus is Lord over the Sabbath and we can go to Jesus and we can find out how to practice this. We can learn from him what to do and what not to do, that it doesn't have to be strict rules, but instead it could be like explorative play. Now, God, take what we need to hear, put it in our hearts. Give us the ears to hear, the mind to respond, and the heart to work it out. In Jesus' name, amen.